the reality that we're going through this uh, awkward point in the history of humanity mm. is the result of what's going on in people's hearts. Mm. It's a con consciousness crisis. Yes. It's all projected out. So to change that, we need to go inward and change the way we're feeling because the inner world is the same as the outer world. That's what the hermetic principle is really about, as above, so below, as within, so without. Yes. It's the biocentric nature of reality that we're now starting to hear about from coming from science, that consciousness is not the product of the universe. The universe is the product of our consciousness. So many elements of our human experience affect our consciousness, including sound. Classical music, indigenous forms of drumming, African desert blues, or the mere sound of silence produce different feelings and thoughts. It can shape our inner life in significant ways. In fact, awareness around how we consume sound shapes the way we create meaning and how we live our life. Welcome back to the Soul Space Podcast. We're your hosts, Adrian and Thal. Today we look at the effects of sound on the human experience. Alexander Tanis has been active as a musician, educator, composer, and ethnomusicologist. For the past 13 years, he has been researching the therapeutic and esoteric properties of sound. He has developed a protocol that he calls sound meditation which uses specific sounds to help people tap into the self-healing capacities that we all possess. We discuss Gnosticism, the physics of sound, and how music is weaponized and used to hijack consciousness for religious and capitalistic agendas. Alexandra holds a Bachelor of Music in Theory and Composition, a Master of Arts degree in Music Education, as well as a Master of Arts and Masters of Philosophy degrees in Ethnomusicology from Columbia University. His works are frequently performed in the United States, Europe, and in Asia. He currently works as a sound therapist, researcher, and educator. We hope you enjoy this conversation. It is our pleasure to bring you Alexander Tanis. Welcome to the show, Alexander. Thank you for coming on. Very good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, maybe a good place to start is just to give us a bit of a background of how you first fell in love with these, all these subjects that you're, you're so passionate about sound and consciousness and, and all the things that you're involved in. Yeah. Um, well, ever since I was a teenager, I was attracted to esoteric knowledge, uh, occult knowledge. And I have to define occult here because most people think automatically of evil and dark stuff. No, not necessarily. Occult is simply the hidden. It's that which is around but hidden in a way because people don't have the right tools to perceive and understand it um, and uh, interested in meditation and eastern philosophies and in the psyche and 
why the human experience is going on and so on and so forth and and one thing would always lead to another and but the most important element here is curiosity i've always had the curiosity to know things i didn't know that they're there to be known uh, of course it's a long and tricky journey treacherous sometimes but it's part of the learning process uh, making mistakes is important but these mistakes should be perceived as a stepping stone toward betterment and deeper understanding realizations and uh, seeking the truth yeah and this grew over the years and still growing I'm still a student mm-hmm. of variety of different things that most people are, mm-hmm. don't give attention to <clears throat> the things that informed me a lot and have been really fascinating for me are certain fields such as uh, hermeticism the knowledge of hermes trismegistus and gnosticism the body of uh, knowledge that the gnostics those who sought gnosis experiential knowledge non-intellectual knowledge embodied knowledge knowledge that come out of experience that's really important because um, it also appears in in other cultures ancient cultures and systems the gnostics is what the uh, gnostics are were the people who lived around the time of christ um, and uh, sought knowledge uh, the, the the prototype Gnostics were the Essenes, but it's also something talked about in Kabbalah. It's um, that uh, it's intuitive knowledge as opposed to yeda, learned intellectual knowledge, and uh, jnana in Hinduism and rigpa in Tibetan Buddhism, and so on. Other subjects I was interested in and still interested are theosophy, the, the school of Madame Blavatsky, anthroposophy, the school of Rudolf Steiner, even though he started as an anthroposophist, um, Eastern philosophies as well, and especially specific schools. Uh, um, for example, the Vedanta schools in Hinduism and Dzogchen in Tibetan Buddhism and uh, other esoteric and occult philosophies and practices and uh, Rosicrucianism as well and certain uh, secret societies, although these have been, or it seems for the most part, that they've been hijacked by uh, other entities and derailed because the fight at the end is about knowledge. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is the ultimate power, and then absence of knowledge is absence of power. And as humans wake up, they realize the level of deception and trickery and uh, corruption um, that's going on on all levels, especially political and religious, and just the usual hypocrisy that's part of the human condition. And they're waking up because they're gaining this knowledge. And um, this knowledge belongs to people. And the knowledge went underground, was preserved in a lot of these um, fields that I mentioned. But uh, it was preserved up until a point where consciousness is ready to handle this knowledge and people are aware. And I think this is the time where this knowledge is coming back little by little, but you need people to be less distracted and to pay attention to it instead of pop culture and stupid media that's trying to frighten people and to create 
the inner instability because the manipulation is through entrainment. We can talk about entrainment later on. Yeah, so and the search is still going, and uh, I love what I explore, and it's now became part of my life's work. Um, I quit the things I used to do. I'm trained in music, uh, four degrees over 12 years, so I wore different hats when it came to music. Uh, making, uh, studied composition and conducting performance, music education, ethnomusicology, but now I focus all my efforts to do sound research um, and scientific studies and field work. And um, I work as a sound therapist, mm -hmm. uh, bringing this knowledge to people um, where one is being awakened from within, one experiences different mm -hmm. non-ordinary states of consciousness uh, to understand the self. Mm -hmm. And meditation, contemplation, mindfulness also go hand in hand with working with sound. Yeah. You know, as, as of course, amazing, um, your interests are so varied. Um, but kind of two questions come to mind as you were talking. Um, first, you know, when you're talking about the esoteric uh, knowledge, sort of the experiential knowledge, it's 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 like hid, hidden in plain sight, and and as you said, there are a lot of distractions. I guess I don't know if we can answer it, or I'm just thinking about it. Like, what holds us back from sort of peeling away the the layers of the veil? What is it essentially that's holding back people? You know, like, mm -hmm. I know I'm thinking about fear, but I would like to hear your thoughts around that. That's one question. And the other one is, um, you know, the fact that you're so uh, multifaceted and interested in all these um, different types of knowledge. Um, what early experiences in your life? Was there a certain moment or a, like a like an insight that came to you at a young age or an experience that you'd like to share? That sort mm -hmm. of initiated you in a way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yes, fear is the number one element that holds people back. Um, but also, uh, fear manifests in various ways. There's some reticence, some holding back in us realizing who we are. Ever since the quote unquote fall out of Eden, whatever that story is really about. And uh, where humanity, the, the human being, lost the God, the connection to God, mm -hmm. God within, not God outside. I completely disagree with the Abrahamic understanding of the divine. There is no divine outside. It's a trick. Um, <clears throat> so there's something within us that does not want us to realize who we are. There is a fear. There is hesitation, but there's also attachment to the material world. Um, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, they talk about maya, which is the state of infatuation with the material world, with the changing world. And um, we lost who we are in a dream. Mm -hmm. It's very important to start to create an analogy here that a dream is like this reality. When we fall asleep, uh, for the first few moments, we're aware that we are falling asleep and we're starting to dream. And some people can control that by doing lucid dreaming on demand. 
it happens to every person when the person, let's say, wakes up in the middle of the night and they go to the bathroom and if they stay latched on in that dream, they can hop back on it and, and continue it. But in the first few moments, a few seconds or a minute or two, they're aware that they're dreaming. But then as they go on, they lose the self in the dream. They lose who's having the dream. They lose the fact that this is a dream and it's not consensual reality. And they're not aware of to what extent and how this dream replaces completely consensual reality up until they wake up again, whether to go to the bathroom again or to wake up in the morning. And then they realize, oh, no, that was a dream. This is consensual reality. This reality seems to be working in a similar way where... Um, we don't really understand what reality is. We don't understand how the psyche, the mind, can create a reality uh, that is uh, similar to this dream and sometimes could be even more um, powerful than the dream itself. And um, when people do shamanic experiences and take psychedelics, same process happens, is that they live through a dream, the visionary state, that is, that can have um, uh, an aspect that makes it seem more real than reality itself. So this it requires you know, some attention. How can this happen? What is reality? So we become deeply engaged in a dream and invested, and especially when we take our emotions, feelings, and thoughts seriously, and this is where the suffering comes from, mm -hmm. is that we're taking things too seriously. Um, people who are experiencing depression or severe anxiety or um, <clears throat> PTSD, there's a different flow of chemicals that happen in their body, and that becomes the new trip and there will be great attachment to the new trip, if we can call it, which is, well, I should preface here that feelings, emotions, and thoughts, and sensations all are induced by chemicals, endogenous chemicals that are secreted in the body, and we run on chemicals. So it's really the human experience is a human trip, and all we do is change it. So we can become addicted to certain things, and that's why you find a lot of people who are angry all the time. They don't enjoy being angry, but they're attached to being angry or being sad or feeling self-loathing and so on because of the attachment to the chemicals that their body secretes. So the chemicals, in the way we invest our energy and we pursue them, that ends up by creating a form of reality. And uh, we become attached to that. And that's the only thing we know, and we tend to shy away from that which we don't know. So if you consider all of these things, then uh, you realize to what extent it's easy to perpetuate this sense of loss of the connection to the divine that's within and uh, carry on with life as it's being fabricated through form of entrainment Entrainment is when we're playing music and music starts to affect us and we start to move in sync with it, um, even when we're not dancing. Uh, entrainment is when people watch a film and the music in the film is affecting people's reception to the visuals and the dialogue. It's very, very important. I wrote film, film music and I know how important that is and, mm -hmm. and also in commercial. Why? <clears throat> 
because it changes the inner processes, the brainwave cycles, the heart rate variability, the subtle energy, and every aspect of being. Sound, music is immensely powerful when it comes to entrainment because you're dealing with physics. And the universe is ruled by the laws of physics. We don't give so much attention to to what extent consciousness is ruled by the laws of acoustics, specific branch in physics that deal with the study of sound and vibration. And that's why we squeeze in sound and music in all sorts of ceremonies, uh, whether they're religious, shamanic, traditional, spiritual, mystical fields, and so on and so forth. So <clears throat> we can be kept in this dimension and... Um, not have to follow to what we came here to do, which is to unravel the nature of being and to understand who we are. That's something that people used to do in matriarchy. Mm. Um, and they understood this um, complexity that's in nature. And um, they, they, there was no science back then. There was natural philosophy, mm. schools of natural philosophy. <laughs> which science came out from, but science suffered a huge setback, became reductionist, material, materialistic, and then we lost this connection to understanding the value of the mathematical systems that we use to understand the nature of being. Fibonacci series, fractal geometry, the, the relevance, the importance of phi, and the most important one is the harmonic overtone series that has always been associated with the creation of the universe, uh, with the tool that which gets you to find what God is and where God is. We can talk about this later. So when you consider all of these things, then we, we can understand on a deeper level why we're so attached to being in this dimension, to being in this reality, and especially that's being perpetuated. There is media and everyone's trying to sell us something and trying to get us to buy things that we don't need. Consumerism is big and, you know, it's easy to become addicted to these things. Why? Because of the literal dopamine reward when people buy something and, and you know, uh, shopaholics do exist and there's a reason why they exist um, mostly because of altering this um, human experience mm -hmm. our actions feelings and thoughts alter the way the body runs on chemicals and that's what constitutes reality so um, we are afraid of realizing the self there is a sense of fear hesitation but also there's a sense of manipulation and loss and that's contributing to this. Now, what's changing in people is that they're getting more and more clues and there's something growing within us that is creating this m more serious than ever paradigm shift, I believe. And it's uh, coinciding with things falling apart mm. on political level, religious level, people losing faith in book religions. People are resorting to uh, archaic revival, you know, shamanism and traditions and uh, Eastern philosophies, meditation, yoga, working with sound, uh, taking psychedelics and so on and so forth. Uh, I have to say that not all the time is being used in an efficient, thorough and sensible way. 
but that's the human condition. Um, you know, it's not always optimal. And, and uh, we can still be manipulated even though we have serious endeavor to achieve these things. Nonetheless, consciousness has the, the power to circumvent all of that and still gain a higher and higher ground. But one needs thorough attention to the energy that's being used, to the attention, to will, awareness, to curiosity, the, the totality of the mindset. Mm. what we bring to every experience and to pay attention to the phenomenological aspect of the experience because that is at the end what is needed the individual's faculty resources being invested in something that's going to make a difference there is cognitive dissonance though that can hold the person back and mm -hmm. for the people listening if they don't know what cognitive dissonance they should look at it which is basically if someone tells me something that's so far outside of what I believe in and what I've known uh, even though that's a more accurate truth or an upgraded version of the truth I may reject it mm -hmm. because it makes me feel so threatened um so uh, that's serious. And these techniques that I used in uh, weaponized psychology, weaponized anthropology, weaponized sociology, weaponized music, weaponized faith, and all these things that people tend to become interested in are being used against them because of cognitive dissonance and other faculties that base on ignorance. And uh, what is the ultimate point here? Well, we've derailed because we started prioritizing profit over consciousness. Yeah. And that caused us to become attached to money. Mm -hmm. Money is a symbol of power, a symbol of survival and safety. And when you have cultures that are promoting reptilian brain interaction, that is, they do that because that makes money and keeping, the, keeping people on the couch watching the news. And the reptilian brain, which is the innermost part of the brain that's responsible for fight or flight and running the body as a machine without the person having to have the awareness um, to do that, then the body becomes a uh, slave to the reptilian brain that wants to protect the person and they become addicted to news because they think that the more they watch, the more they're being informed in keeping themselves safe. And money sings well to that. So at the end, we end up by having completely different relationship with the hardware in the body. Pardon me for using these terms, but I do that on purpose. So the computer is now not using the entire parts, but focus on specific parts. We're mostly left hemispheres these days. We rely so much on education and intelligence and less so the imagination, with the, which is what the right hemisphere <clears throat> deal with um, imagination, and inspiration, the, the feminine side of the brain versus the left brain being the masculine. So we're mostly running on left brain with a lot of reptilian brain action. That creates different reality. Mm -hmm. And this is what's causing the big fork on the road now where humanity is starting to become split in two halves and it will become more and more so. In one part, humanity is waking up and resorting to things that really reveal the true nature of the self, of reality, of the divine within, the archaic methods to, to be, seek holistic experience, um, integral discovery, um, and, um, you know, pro-organic uh, farming, permaculture, no GMOs, and 
all of the stuff and then the other part um, the other part of the fork in the road is people going on with the status quo and think that oh things are improving because now we have technology and AI is gonna make things much easier and and cheaper and um, not thinking the consequences how much the dehumanization is going to happen and the transhumanistic agenda behind all of that and um, the, the danger of having AI that you cannot control mm-hmm. and it's going to upgrade itself and design itself so it's a it's a very very uh, critical time in humanity mm-hmm. um and we can go deeper into this if you want at a later point. The second question, what made me uh, become interested uh, in all of this? Well, I, I grew up in war in Beirut and my parents immigrated to the States, so I lived through a lot of violence and terror, and that made me ask questions and uh, that, that a you know, young person would not usually ask mm-hmm. from an early age and to demystifying the nature of suffering and the madness that can um, affect people and uh, people start to kill each other over either whose god is more merciful or which way is best to worship that same god that's basically why book religions and the denominations and sects within them whether protestant and catholics and so and so on and so forth, kill each other. Basically, they're killing each other over who has the better method to worship Jehovah. And the level of ignorance goes so far that they think that Christians or Muslims, like, oh, these Muslims, I mean, Christians or Jews, think that, uh, let's say, Allah, the, the name of God in Islam, is a different God. No, it's not the same different God. It's the same Jehovah God. Right. So there's a very deep level of ignorance. Basically, what's what I see happening here is that <clears throat> the same old methods is being used, but on steroids and rocket boosters. Right. Because finding God, understanding what God is and where God is, is something that we are encoded with, and, and we need to find that. It's we came here to understand that. Well, that is being used against people, and their emotions are involved. Right. And of course, then, <clears throat> if we have a person who is um, ignorant enough and passionate enough, of course, this person is capable of killing him or herself, yeah. uh, blowing up themselves to kill few people, few innocent people. Uh, they come from a good place, but it's causing terror. Yeah. So, who's at fault? It's not the person's ignorance. I mean. Ignorance is ignorance. Uh, it's uh, it's those who are manipulating these people and fueling divide because that's how you bring humanity to its knees: divide and conquer. Yes. In any method, whether religious, socio-cultural, racial, and uh, sports teams, and you know, people kill each other over <laughs> at the end of certain. Uh, uh, football games in England, for example, right? Being trampled and buck- hitting and beating each other. So, uh, obsession. It's Isn't it? It's such a, like, as you're talking, just the word paradox keeps coming up. It's such a paradox, our human condition. Um, and just, you know, 
speaking about like your background and I, I'm just thinking about the Quran like there is a verse in the Quran that talks about al-ilm al-laduni which is the experiential knowledge and that that knowledge you can it's something that you just that is just placed in the heart it's it's not it's not an intellectual quantitative thing and it's funny because it's this, that same book is used for other interpretations and um, the more you know dogmatic or like fear-based interpretations or whatever um, I'm also thinking about like music and sound and the therapeutic aspects of sound, which is, you know, the main part of your work. And similarly, you know, it's, you know, I'm just going to share this, like a lot of the dogmatic interpretations of Islam, some of them have actually said that music is just not allowed at all, like just avoid music completely, which is insane considering even historically within the Islamic culture, um, you know, there's someone like Al-Farabi and, and, and there's the, the hospitals in, in, in Andalusia where the mental health institutions where they were playing music as a, as a form of therapy. So yes. please dig in, go deeper, whatever you're saying, I'm enjoying it. Go deeper. Please. <laughs> Maybe at the same time, if you can share with listeners, how, how is sound therapeutic? Like how, if someone's just hearing this for the first time, can you share what's happening to consciousness and what is sound? Are we talking about instruments yes. and singing? Like there, I'm sure there's a lot of difference yes. in between, you know, within that category. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is all stuff I can talk about for the next 10 hours. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to make it succinct and, uh, but yet, uh, packed with uh, info. So, uh, yeah, um, Islam um, uses music, but it does not call it music. Mm. That's the curious part. And um, Adhan, the call to prayer, is not considered to be music. Mm. Um, and, um, well, what's music again? So, um, I can't tell you why it's not called music, why it's considered to be blasphemous to call it music, but um, book religions did use music tremendously. Yes. And if I may say, this kind of be, may sound blasphemous to a lot of people, especially religious ones, I don't mean any offense um, uh, to anyone. I respect people's faith, and, and, um, but I also know that in this faith they're being tricked to believe that they're on the right track were actually not completely so while Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and all denominations, they do offer wonderful teaching and, and things that can help humanity, but at the same time, at the end, it's about hijacking consciousness and misleading people. Whether this came to be out of ignorance, out of deliberate action, or both combined, I can't tell you. There's evidence of all the above. So, uh, music is used to unravel consciousness. When you go inside um, any church, especially Greek Orthodox Church, because in, in Christians, the Greek Orthodox Church use music the best. Why? Byzantine chants chants that I use in the Greek Orthodox Church are <clears throat> a mixture of classical Arabic and classical Turkish music. It's the, when Constantine invaded uh, Istanbul and became Constantinople, uh, he used the music that was going on around, which was Arabic and Turkish, and they're both very similar, on the classical level at least. 
um, and use it part of the church. When you listen to this music in a secular environment, it gives you an altered state. Uh, why? Because so this is a lot, but I'm going to say it shortly, because the notes that are being used in the modes, modes are like scales, succession of different notes, have different uh, mathematical ratios between them. They have different frequencies, and these frequencies are closer to the tuning of the notes and the harmonic series. We'll talk about that later. Harmonic series is the blueprint for sound production. Um, and it's responsible for the tone color or timbre. All harmonic systems come from the harmonic series, the place from where the concept of harmony came up from, which is mathematics at the end. What, what, and it's considered to be the most sophisticated of all of these intelligences uh, that, that we measure using mathematics. Pythagoreans told us that it's not mathematics that creates the universe, it's mathematics, what we use to measure that intelligence. What's there is fields, is present in fields and phenomena, systems and patterns. So we're talking about Pythagorean knowledge uh, here, the knowledge that Pythagoras brought to Europe. And Plato and Aristotle and, and, and Socrates were his followers a little over 100 years later. <coughs> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and... Uh, so, uh, in, in Byzantine chants, uh, the notes that I use, and so similarly also in Quranic chants, uh, Adhan, calls for prayer, you, you're using uh, frequencies that are closer to the tuning of the harmonic series notes, which is the place where harmony came from. Mm -hmm. And harmony is a concept that exists in mathematics. At the end, when we listen to music or the harmonic series, when you listen to a gong being played or singing bowls, you're listening to the audible side of mathematical ratios. The mathematical ratio lays between two notes in the musical interval. If you take C and G, for example, that's an interval of a fifth because it's C, D, E, F, G, one, two, three, four, five. It's a three to two ratio. C to D is a nine to eight ratio, and so on and so forth. So harmony is audible mathematics, audible mathematical ratios to be precise. When when you create a musical system or chant that is based on these pure tones, uh, it's going to alter consciousness, just like uh, a normal sound bath or sound healing. Two terms I avoid using because they're gimmicky and they don't give justice to what, what is being done here. I like to call it sound meditation or sound therapy, uh, sound journey, whatever it is, but not something that would indicate that the individual is doing something. You know? Healing is not happening just like that. So um, they create <clears throat> transcendental, introspective, um, uh, euphoric state, psychedelic state sometimes, so they alter consciousness. These are the same notes that are being used in church, in Judaism, in cathedral, in mosques. And if you take these out of context, um, you have um, a very powerful use of music that is being used in a specific place along with incense and a church bell, which is all overtones, and golden mean, golden ratio in iconography, in fractal geometry, in ceiling, and then in the mosque, and all of these things that 
um, lure people and deeper into the faith, thinking that God is here. Well, these are things that humans looked for and understood in matriarchal period. Matriarchy, to me, is not that women were more dominant than men. That's caricaturesque understanding of it. It's basically where where people, men and women, lived in harmony, in equilibrium with nature, with all living things, and un they understood the power that nature has to ultimately understand who they are to nature, what is nature to humans, and where God is, and what God is. This was appropriated by patriarchy and by book religions, and they were expropriated. We know that the early Christians, which is the Roman Empire really continuing to exist <clears throat> under the guise of Christianity, again, no blasphemy here to the good believers, but this is what it is. seems like it's a business that hijacks consciousness by using very powerful tools to lure people into deeper faith, thinking that God is here. It's just a labeling that's wrong. When you expose someone to these things in a church or any other holy house from these big book religions, you're going to get the same thing that you do as if you're doing it in a cave or out in, the, in nature or in any other context, because everyone does this, except here is being done in a specific set and setting, and the label is different. So people leave the church, the cathedral, the mosque, the temple, feeling elated. The problem is that someone put this, this is God here. God is here. Come back again. Get a repeat customer. Because we're programmed to understand who we are through music. To unravel the nature of being because of what sound and harmony music does to every aspect of being. It alters your consciousness. It puts you in an elated state through entrainment, basically. So, there is a trickery here. Is that something that happened through ignorance or deliberate action or both? Again, there's clear evidence to me that all the above are true, and it's not just ignorance. Um, so, um, so, sound is often used in a very particular way to get a specific result. That's what you do when you create music for commercials or when you go inside a store and you hear specific music that put this type of the prototype clientele to spend money, to be in a good mood to spend money. If you go to a teenage clothing store, you're going to hear different music than you go to a jewelry store or so on. That's functional music. It's used all the time in commercials and you know, to put people at ease through what? Through a form of entrainment mm -hmm. so that they can be more in the mood to spend money and to spend more time to feel in the mood uh, as opposed to when you leave, they leave the store and there's the, the hubbub of the city and the noise and so on. So um, there's a level of deception here that's being used without people knowing that. You can go very, very far with this because that's what a shamanic experience is about. Mm -hmm. To give an example, if you do an experience with a shaman in any tradition, they'll give you a plant, usually psychedelic, that knocks you off of baseline reality. And, uh, but would you 
surrendering, allowing, trusting, accepting. You believe that this shaman, who's a professional, whose job is to heal you, using plant spirits, quote and coke, and quote, and using um, uh, their ancestors and their guiding spirits and the power animal. This is all stuff that we in the West talk about, and we call the subconscious mind, the collective unconscious, the psyche, the you know, and, and uh, the, the unconscious, the conscious, all of these things. In the East, they call the Shiva, the Shakti, the Atman, the Brahman. It's the same thing. So you see how ignorance manifests to a level where it creates a different reality to the individual without the person knowing that. Now, as the person is going through the shamanic experience, experiencing that sacrament, whether it's ayahuasca or San Pedro or, uh, you know, iboga or mushrooms or peyote and so on, whatever grows in, around in the region, um, they receive visions and the sound is being played to guide them in the process and olfactory stimuli is used. Um, so it could be <coughs> Palo Santo or Sage or Copal and other, you know, olfactory agent to help the person surrender and let go so that they they allow the work to happen, but what it is causing here is an unfolding of the nature's consciousness and the visionary state. So a similar version of that happens in church when the priest gives you a wafer or sacrament. It's like handing you the ayahuasca cup, shaman handing you the ayahuasca cup. Sound is played in a church to put you in the mood, the congregation, the electromagnetics between people. The music played in a perfectly acoustical space because there's connection between the architecture of the space and sound because sound reverberates on walls and ceilings and so the space have to be has to be optimal for the acoustics to be great it's a known thing in concert halls and so on so and there <clears throat> there's uh, iconography there's dazzling visuals that communicate the mathematics of uh, of god if i can say the math of God, this divine mathematics that we're attracted to, we're interested in, it communicates something divine, something sacred, because of where it takes us. To me, that's where sacred is. It's not the sacred outside of us, it's what that sacred thing, whether it's a mushroom or sound, where it takes us, that's really what's sacred. And now people are being so flippant with saying sacred this, sacred that, and the next thing they lose the true definition of what sacred is. At the end, everything is sacred, but when people are distracted and lacking the knowledge, then they're not going to have the deep understanding. What is really truly sacred? Why is it sacred? What's in it that is sacred? So people don't have the time the energy or the skills to really investigate these things by being scrutinizing and being persnickety about the meaning of a word, the power of word, which is sound. Again, language creates reality. So I hope I covered your, your questions, Tal. Uh, did I cover them? Um, yeah, we're enjoying the depth of the conversation. I mean, um, what an honor. Like, I, yeah. I, I want to know more, like, about the Fibonacci, about the, like, all of it, really. <laughs> yes, yeah. very important. And that's, this is something that's surfacing more and more again, uh, this interest in sacred geometry, um, uh, the way intelligence manifests in mathematics, and we measure 
intelligence by measuring the value of these mathematical systems, uh, phi or the golden mean, the golden ratio, Fibonacci series or numbers, fractal geometry. The harmonic overtones is the one that has been considered to be the most important and often associated with creation with God. Now, you asked another question, Adrian. Is it Was it about sound? What is sound? It, it was just also yeah. curious the difference between like instruments that produce those harmonic overtones versus singing. If someone's chanting, yeah. I, I imagine there's another way of producing the sound through vocal cords. Is there a difference on consciousness when it's listening through the instrument or or it's produced through yeah through through singing or chanting or mantras or yes certainly so I'm um, gonna move around to get some instruments to demonstrate a concept okay. but uh, so about overtones so the overtone system is um, is one that um, is so important as I said earlier because that's the system that gives us um, the tone color or tab which is the difference between our voices um, the difference between various notes also is caused by various notes played on different instruments caused by overtones so when you listen to a note that note is not just one thing, it's predominantly one thing, one note, one frequency. We call that the fundamental tone or fundamental frequency. In it, there are tiny auditory pixels that they're not always audible, but their job is to color the tone. Um, if we, if the three of us sing one note, the same note, and it's going to sound different because every person has different overtones. So the overtone series, the harmonic series, is one that goes on to infinity and has specific intervals. And it builds on the fundamental frequency. So, ah, is the fundamental tone. If you were to use specific software to analyze the spectrum of my voice, you will find various horizontal lines. Um, the lowest one, the fundamental tone, would be the thickest, most pronounced, but within it there will be overtones. They're so faint that they may seem to be completely inexistent, but they actually are there, except the fundamental tone is greater and it overshadows these uh, overtones. And um, the value here is that when we use instruments such as gongs, singing bowls, discs, bells, overtone singing, I'll demonstrate in a bit, to bring out these overtones to a level where they're clearly audible. <coughs> and that changes everything. Why? Because the individual now is hearing this magic that's in sound, although they're listening to notes, but they're being exposed to pure mathematical ratios. What binds the notes and the harmonic series together is an infinite series of harmonic, uh, of uh, uh, mathematical ratios. So, uh, to bring out the overtones in my voice from this note, ah, I would have to sing it out, but creating a different conditions of physics inside the buccal cavity, which is the buccal cavity is the area that starts right above the vocal cords up to my lips. And this is a specific size. 
and we have different tone colors because we all have different variables. Let's say, Tal, your vocal cords are smaller than mine and Adrian, and for sure they would be smaller. This is why women have higher pitched voice. You know, women can sing in soprano, mezzo-soprano, and alto, and men have tenor, baritone, and bass, sometimes counter-tenor, which is male alto sung in falsetto or head voice. Because the, the vocal cords are thicker, or thinner, bigger, or smaller. But the throat might be wider. The, um, the, the uvula is more protruded than usual. The soft palate is bigger than usual than someone else. The, the, the tongue is bigger and the teeth. All of these create different conditions that eventually give the individual his or her specific tone color. Mm. Right? And... Um, now I'm going to sing that same note, but I'm going to move my tongue inside the buccal cavity to open and close the space so that I naturally amplify the overtones that are in my voice. By doing that, I'm creating different conditions of physics called Helmholtz resonance. And then I can amplify naturally these overtones that are in my voice, but one cannot hear them because the fundamental tone is so loud, it overshadows them. And when I do that, you will hear the fundamental tone, which still be most pronounced, and upper notes that would be changing one at a time based on what I do with my tongue to open or close it more. And that's what people do when they play didgeridoo. They play brass instruments, trombones, trumpet, flugelhorns, and tubas, and French horns, and, uh, and also wind instruments. It's the movement of the tongue, also the embouchure, which is the totality of that. How wide or small the opening of the lips is, the velocity of the air, and the position of the tongue inside the mouth. That's very important for music playing. <clears throat> and people use that as well when they're doing any form of overtone singing, throat singing. It's done a variety of different ways. The Tibetan Buddhist monks do it in a more guttural way. Uh, Tuvans do it different ways, and Mongolians, and so on and so forth. So it sounds like this. what I believe the primordial om or aum mm. is trying to communicate. Om is not om or m, even though it's often chanted and written like that. It's aum, A-U-M. But it's not aum either. It's what aum is referring to. Aum is referring to, to the opening and closing of the buccal cavity. Aum. You start with open and you close the mouth. By doing that, you're going through all the vowels. Aoi. And the shades between them. And these change the formants. The formants, that's concept in physics. People can look it up. It's too long to explicate here. But basically, when we speak, we speak in vowels. And then consonants come and add another layer, another action to the vowel. An example of that would be E, E, and if you say D, D, there's the tongue 
is being involved now touching the back of the upper teeth and a little bit the gum D, D in T would be a slightly different interaction D, E, T, P now P is involving the lips so all of these are variations with slight addition to what E is so what you're doing here you're creating various packages of overtones, very specific dimension of um, the package of the overtones that's coming out. The vocal cords are buzzing, and the buzzing is being amplified in the buccal cavity, and it's coming out as language. But it's at the end overtones. So Aum is pointing the finger, Aum, that the primordial arm that created the universe is pointing the finger toward sound once again that's not anything new we've we've heard it from a variety of different places you know aborigines in australia tell you that the universe was created with two songs and ancient egypt tell you the universe was sung into being mm. uh the, the the word that created you know, you know in the first census of Gospel of John, and the word was God. Yeah. The word here is a uh, mistranslation of the concept of logos. Logos is what the word was when the Bible was brought to Europe in ancient Greek. Logos is uh, ratio, is reason. So Genesis is not telling you how God created everything a day at a time and rested on the Shabbat, the seventh day. On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. What I interpret this now is that you become God when you learn how to create with your words. That's really what the message is. So this comes from a variety of different angles. Sound creates reality. Sound is the creator of the universe. Sound, therefore, is God. Mm -hmm. Or you can use sound to understand where the God is within. Mm -hmm. And that's why music is used in all shamanic traditions, in all mystical sects, in Eastern philosophies and religions, book religions, ceremonies. Why? I'm going to demonstrate a concept here. So I'm going to play chimes, two different chimes with different tuning. These are called Koshi chimes, which is uh, fire. But the notes and the harmonies involved have nothing to do with these elements. They're just arbitrarily named like that. So when I play the chimes, you're going to hear different notes. The chime itself is the logos. The logos is the unknowable. The logos is um, the metadata that language expresses. The logos is the feelings, emotions, and thoughts that are within us, that are in, in sensations and visuals. Whatever we communicate via language first it's in an abstract form and then when you speak about it using words in this case when I play the chimes you're going to hear notes the notes become and that is the harmony in the logos become the ethos ethos is the distinguishing quality the personality the character the beingness the allure all of these things of, a, of a, an instrument or person of a company or whatever entity we're talking about when we listen to the ethos of this chime or any speech it creates reality within us and that is pathos now keep in mind that this is not how these words are defined in you know various traditions 
I'm defining them with a twist here based on my own research and own understanding because you can read a whole entire book about ethos and logos and still not know what ethos and logos are about. These are talking about big words that are part of the fundamental structure of reality, along with pathos, but not, I mean, along with uh, mythos, but we're not going to address mythos now. We're just going to concentrate on logos, ethos, and pathos. So words create reality in the ears of the listener. It creates reality in in, inside of you, just like now, I'm talking about things, <clears throat> and the listeners are um, fathoming, internalizing, visualizing, but it's, they're, they're communicating information. It's a form of reality. So I'm going to play this logos, and the ethos coming out of the logos is going to create specific sounds, and then we're going to talk about these later. And these sounds that people feel inside of them best is to listen to it with eyes closed to focus on the auditory aspect and that would be the pathos So many people describe the sound as being light-hearted, there's a sense of awe, curiosity, happy, um, whimsical, uh, looking outward, it's joyful, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's the pathos that was created in people, and it's pretty universal. People of various traditions. People with musical experience or not all tend to use these words. Compared to the second chimes, which is a different logos, and when it speaks, it has a different ethos, and when people listen to it, it creates a different reality, a different pathos. This one has more of pensiveness, of introspection, a sense of yearning, nostalgia, um, gentle but healing sadness. Mm. Mystery. More mystery, contemplative, and we can add more and more words, or visuals and sensations. It doesn't have to be just words. Yeah. But you see what creates reality. You see how sound can create reality if the person is very attentive and getting their mind out of the way and not quick at labeling things. But wait, 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 feel it, feel it, and then choose carefully the words. And this is where miscommunication happens, that people are not always careful with how they speak mm -hmm. to really bring their ethos out. And, and we're becoming more and more sloppy now with words. And there's a lot of speech disfluency, mm -hmm. uh, and inaccurate words, and even people using the wrong inflections. We sing the words differently now, with a lot of redundancy, repetition, or even um, 
talking in an ascending uh, tone like that and repeating it over and over and you know this is so common these days where it's not really singing the words correctly we don't just speak words we sing words all the time and this is the most important part and that is something we're losing because of the high reliance on texting and emailing so you see how technology when it's mishandled <coughs> not against technology, I'm against technology being used in a way that can jeopardize the existence of a human being and modify humanity and take away the humane elements that are within us. We sing language, the inflections, the changes in the tempo, the articulation, the emphasis of on words, syllables, the changes of the tempo of the speech, the dynamics, how loud or soft, the silence between the words, how gestures and grimaces and body language in general aligns with this all of this is adding to the context and emojis are not going to replace that mm. at all at all we're losing a very important part of speech that creates reality and the speech this fluency especially like and of course when I mention these things I have no judgment to people who use it but it's indicating a lack of self-awareness there's really no need for 10 or 20 likes a minute mm. we're making great effort yeah. in doing something saying something that has absolutely no value on the contrary it's causing the person listening to sift out all the likes that are not needed for meaning to come to place so we should take this stuff very seriously because mm -hmm. that can change the human being. This is transhumanism, which mm -hmm. is a very old agenda. It didn't just stop now. There's clear evidence that it started from in the 40s. Mm -hmm. so, um, so sound is very, very important. And uh, what human beings are resorting to is um, sound. The, as we know, you know, sound therapy or sound gong baths and sound healings, or vibrational healing, whatever people choose terms. I highly encourage people not to use any gimmicky terms, but use something that indicates that the individual is doing something. That's why I use sound meditation, which is not a term that I coined. Yes, my, my website is soundmeditation.com, but yeah. That was gifted to me because I had soundmeditation.us. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it, it, I'm not promoting it. No, because it's indicating that, well, if we don't talk about anything, uh, you know that you're doing something if you come to sound meditation. Mm -hmm. And But we should say something. We should give people the tools and create the protocol so that people are tapping into the self-healing capacity within us. It's about that. It's about using sound and other stimuli to create the conditions for healing to happen. That's also entrainment. Except here we're doing it in a positive way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about a few things. Um, so I'm thinking about no noise pollution. And oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking about the distraction of, in fact, we have so many sounds right now, like you said, and, um, you know, like pop music. And, you know, and I'm trying hard, like this is not to be judgmental. I'm just really um, trying to... Um, connect to what you're saying um like i've ex i went to a 10-day silent meditation the one time i went in my life and it was so amazing to be able to sort of um go on a fasting from the noise pollution and yes I, and i remember when they were they would beat the gong for like lunchtime 
the sound of that gong was everything. It was, um, sorry, something happened to Skype. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the sound of the gong was so delicious and it was so like, it was, it tasted like honey. And, and, and yes, and, and, I, and then I, at that point, I was like, wow, like we do need discernment when we're choosing who even to listen to. Um, yes. And, and the artists that we're connecting with, like the music that we're listening to, the state and the condition of the artists that's singing will transfer yes. through what they're producing. I mean, what, what are your thoughts around that? <laughs> yeah, that's very important. So this is called synesthesia. Mm-hmm. When you hear something <clears throat> in another sense becomes involved in what you're listening to, that's uh, the, 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 the senses are bleeding into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are natural synesthete. They see hues and colors when they listen to pieces in particular keys, D minor versus G major and B flat minor and so on. Some people see shapes when they hear numbers. Um, Some people smell things when they hear specific uh, words or see colors and so on and so forth. And when people take psychedelics, uh, this happens where the, the psychedelic that they're taking causes them to see visuals in their mind's eye uh, with eyes closed uh, upon hearing uh, specific sounds. And that's what triggers the visionary state. Why? Because the brain that does a variety of different things involved in reality, the brain is a transducer of consciousness. It receives consciousness. Transduction is when you change the state of something. For example, when you turn on a radio and you hear music, clearly the musicians are not in the radio. The radio, the transceiver, is transforming, uh, transducing a frequency to audio. TV set gives you audio and video. So the brain transduces consciousness. Consciousness is not all made in the brain. It's non-local. That is called coming from locality. Bell's non-locality. And uh, the brain also filters reality because there's so much information out there and needs to be confined to specific things. Uh, So it filters a lot of things out. And also indoctrination um, conditioning has a lot to do with what is being filtered out and this is how a lot of uh, nascent capacity within us becomes dormant or inexistent Uh, the brain also um, uh, tweaks reality judges it and so sound affects the brain, the entire body that is involved in the creation of reality. And that's what really is at the end. That's what music does to us. And that's how entrainment can be effective. A human being is not a completely autonomous person, is always imbued by external sources. So that's why people must always pay attention to their diet. The diet to me is not just what people eat. It's what they listen to. Music or speech or news is what the films that they watch, documentaries they watch, the commercials they they watch or they become exposed to even just 
um, commercials in the street, the noise pollution, all of that becomes part of who we are and it wreaks havoc on our awareness, and especially when you deal with noise pollution. It's so detrimental. Noise sound is also used in military application. We're not going to cover that because it's a whole thing by itself. Mm-hmm. So... Um, people think that they're sovereign, that they can decide. No, it's always we're a product of who's around us. Uh, friends, acquaintances, colleagues, other people's electromagnetics, mm. um, uh, EMFs, and all of this stuff becomes part of the human consciousness because of how it secretly, inconspicuously impacts the individual. And we're being changed by these things. More and more so, we're losing sovereignty. Mm. We're losing uh, so many things because of entrainment. So we need to be extremely careful and inform ourselves of these things and not to dismiss them as woo-woo and, and conspiracy stuff. No, no, no. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that's really valid and impactful. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm just... There's so much I want to ask, but I'm also realizing that we don't have all the time in the world. So, um, at this point, though, I'm considering just for for people who want to start in, intentionally incorporating sound into their practice, if, if they're regular meditators, they have other forms of spiritual practice, where, where do they begin uh, if, if sound is a new, new element um, to their practice? Where would you direct them? <clears throat> yeah, various things. First, the voice just toning with lips closed to experience the vibration and when we when we speak or tone we experience a lot of our voice through bone and tissue conduction and not only the auditory part an example of that is when people close their ears and they speak that is bone and tissue conduction Uh, so we experience sound in two different ways so toning vocalization is very powerful because gets the body to vibrate um, if they want to go deeper into it, uh, they can learn overtone singing. Uh, there are many YouTube videos now that can teach that or people can take lessons with some of these experts on YouTube. Um, and uh, to sing, singing is for everyone, not only singers. But if they don't want to deal with the voice, then... Well, even if they want to deal with it, I highly encourage them to get some instruments that would be great help. A singing bowl or two, small handheld gong, tuning forks, any of these instruments, and I have a list of them on my website, soundmeditation.com, they can get a few things. And these are very easy to play instruments. They don't need to practice for years like people practice you know playing guitar or piano no it's it's easy to handle them and to make them part of their practice or listening to recordings of singing bowls gongs all the above i've made six albums uh some tracks are available in my soundcloud but if people are interested they can contact me to purchase them directly from me um at some point soon they're going to be released along with eight other albums that I recorded recently. 
sounds for meditation. They're very, very effective. They're not the same as listening to these instruments in person and acoustically, but they're very powerful. Why? Because acoustically, you're, you're, you're feeling sound. You're not just listening to it. There's a lot of information that cannot be captured using um, microphones. So to receive more uh, of these sound therapy sessions that are happening more and more and realize that there's certain knowledge required to how to still the mind, I always talk for at least half an hour before I facilitate a sound meditation mm -hmm. to give people the tools of understanding why these instruments are powerful, how to listen in a very particular way, judicious, attentional, intentional, um, and how to get the mind out of the way, how to use a contemplative state versus a mindful state versus a meditative state, how to work with discursive thinking and how to disengage from that instead of trying to fight it, but to involve sound in their life and also to keep earplugs on them that they were in there in walking in the streets and there's noise pollution or uh, in subway stations or whatever to really at least block their ears because the ringing in the ears and people losing hearing, which is very, very delicate. We have 20,000 cilia, hearing cells, in each ear that they start dying the day we were born. They die more when people are exposed to loud sound and they don't grow back. This is a really tiny number compared to the over 120 million photoreceptors we have in each eye. So hearing is so important on a variety of different levels, so it's very important to protect the hearing. And also when people are listening to music using headphones or AirPods, to not blast the volume loud, to heighten the mood, to get the body to secrete more of, you know, chemicals, endogenous chemicals that can heighten the mood, or to raise the volume so loud to drown out the external noise pollution. In this case, it's not the noise pollution that's causing the, the hearing loss, it's the music that they're listening to and they love. So there's a great level of unawareness. So protecting the hearing and using uh, sound in a correct way to affect the vagus nerve, the autonomic nervous system, to switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic, the parasympathetic state is not a state that we often go to, which is when the body is not doing anything based on the fact that there's nothing happening outside of us or around us to do something. Sympathetic is when we're concentrating, we're doing something that can cause fatigue. And these days that's also becoming an epidemic. People work for many hours and they go home and they need to do more things, answer emails or do domestic work, or cook or watch TV. There's no enough state of relaxation to get the body to be in a parasympathetic state. And that's why people start to have problems sleeping or taking pills. Uh, to sleep or having to smoke weed or having to take alcohol to fall asleep mm -hmm. that's forcing the body to shut down so the people need to learn about the sympathetic state and the parasympathetic state and how the autonomic nervous system runs the body as a machine and uh, the deeper research that's coming out now on the vagus nerve um, the central nerve that runs the body, how slow, deep breathing exercises, toning, vocalization, working with sound are great ways to massage and tone down the vagus nerve. Vagus spelled V-A-G-U-S, which in Latin means vagrant, meandering. So the, the body 
is full of various elements. These are the hardware. And if we start to misuse the hardware, then there's a different operating system that's going to be happening and different software and reality becomes different. And that's what we're going through right now. The reality that we're going through, this uh, awkward point in the history of humanity mm. is the result of what's going on in people's hearts. Mm. It's a con consciousness crisis. Yes. It's all projected out. So to change that, we need to go inward and change the way we're feeling because the inner world is the same as the outer world. That's what the hermetic principle is really about, as above, so below, as within, so without. Yes. It's the biocentric nature of reality that we're now starting to hear about from coming from science, that consciousness is not the product of the universe. The universe is the product of our consciousness great book to read about this is called biocentrism by robert lanza mm -hmm. amazing alexander <laughs> i know you gotta go in like one minute so yeah i just want to thank you for that really rich conversation um maybe we'll do a part two that was that's really beautiful we covered a lot of ground yeah i feel that this is an introduction definitely would love to have you back um thank, thank you so you. much for sharing all that knowledge thank you great pleasure happy to be here yeah. thank you Listen to the sound of silence. Who are you without your personality? You say you want to destroy yourself. <laughs> Don't you know that you are one pulse, one breath? Breathe, breathe deeply, breathe right down to your gut, your groin and the soles of your feet. Destroy yourself. You see, those who have come before you have already said it. Die. Die before you die. Mutu qabla an tamutu. What is it that's holding you back from destroying yourself? Don't you know that an infinite universe unfolds within your flesh? Every cell gyrates with infinite love. Allah. Allah. What is your fear? Who is your fear? Allow divine darkness to wash over you. No more games. Unrobe your lies. You fear yourself. <laughs> stay positive. Do not stay positive. Who are you to become definitive? There is no depth to you without your madness. You are a zero-sum game of infinite love and light. No more hiding, you sly one. Become enchanted and reveal your beauty. Hell, heaven, earth, destroy yourself. <laughs> destroy. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we talk about happiness and enlightenment with Shinzen Young. If you're enjoying what we're doing and want to support us, please leave a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear suggestions for future topics and guests. You can message us on social at soulspacepod or info at soulspacepodcast.com. As always, thanks for tuning in. And until next time.